Lord, thanks for this time. Thanks for your word. Thanks for the privilege of celebrating your son's entry into Jerusalem. Father, uh, he was in control of that situation, just like he's in control of history right now. And although it didn't always line up with what we would want, Father, we know that um, denying ourselves and taking up our crosses and following him is the answer to whatever is going on in our lives. So, Father, may we celebrate uh, today as we read through uh, Matthew 21 and 22. And uh, just pray that you'd be with um, every group today, that we may um, talk about what it means for your son to be in control. And um, is he really the Jesus that uh, we've been looking for in our own lives? So we pray all these things in your son's powerful name. Amen. I don't know about you guys, but... uh, um, have you ever just gone through the events of the last week of Christ's life? And one of the reasons I wanted to pass this out was to give you a chance as we go through uh, this coming week to uh, just be in the Word, looking at what was happening each day as uh, Christ was going through the last week of His life on uh, earth here. And so it's a great thing to do with uh, 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 your family, Uh, or if you're a single guy with your community group, or with your summit group, or even uh, you might uh, say, hey, let's everybody take a day and uh, be responsible for one day and circulate an email among the rest of the summit group about what was going on that day in Christ's life and uh, um, what impact does that have on our lives today. So... Hope you'll find this handy. Okay, I want to start with a brief overview of Matthew 21 and 22. We ought to have a slide up here that uh, just uh, I tried to pull together in a way that would uh, make it uh, both memorable and just capture what Matthew is doing here as he catalogs uh, the start of the last week of uh, uh, Christ's life, the Passion Week, if you will. And so we start with the presentation of the Messiah, the formal presentation of the king to Israel. Uh, We have uh, the triumphal entry, and then we see him cleansing the temple, and we also see him cursing the fig tree. And then uh, we have a a pair of challenges to authority that kind of bookend the rest of the passage. And we have uh, the um, disciples of the Pharisees and the Herodians uh, uh, challenging Christ's authority. And then at the end, we have another challenge to authority, and this is Christ challenging the religious leader's authority. And in between those two, we have sandwiched in three parables. The parable of the two sons, parable of the vineyard, parable of the wedding feast. And then we also have three confrontations where uh, Christ deals with, Jesus has a chance to confront uh, different sects of the religious leaders of that day. And we see him in the the first confrontation talking about uh, government and God. And in the second one, he talks about uh, this life and the resurrection. And in the final one, he talks about uh, our relationship with God and our relationship with our neighbor. And we conclude with a final uh, challenge to authority where Jesus throws out questions to the religious leaders of um, that day guys who prided themselves on their ability to know the Scriptures and to to debate with anybody. And we see what happens there because 
those guys um, don't ask Christ any more questions after that confrontation. Okay, so let's dig in. And what I want to focus on today is uh, uh, the triumphal entry, which is found in Matthew 21, 1 through 11. So let's just read through it together. If you have your Bible, open it up to Matthew 21. And uh, we'll just read here. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. So what do we see from the outset? We see a guy who is in control of his situation. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. This is a a quotation from uh, both uh, Isaiah and from uh, Zechariah. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle, mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And you know, when the king was coming, he wasn't coming like we might expect him to come, or uh, even as uh, the people of that day were expecting him to come. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And this is a picture of, you can go back to... uh, First Kings, for example, and you'll see other times when um, kings over Israel came, uh, they came uh, during times of peace riding on a donkey. And when the crowds took their coats off and laid them in front of this triumphal procession, uh, it's a picture of their acknowledgement that Jesus was their coming king. And the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, which means Uh, Save us to the Son of David, a messianic title that recognized uh, who Christ truly was. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And you know, as he came into the city, the city was stirred up. And it makes you think back if uh, you've been reading along with us on the journey to Matthew 2 when the wise men came into the city looking for him. And what did it say about the city? It said that all Jerusalem was troubled. And so when he comes back during this last week, the city again is stirred up. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And you know, that's a great question, not only for us today. A lot of the guys in this room have already answered that question. But that question is something that deserves to continue to be answered each day of our lives as we determine who's going to be in control of our life for today. And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Um, It looks like we have a little extra uh, text that's not needed there. But the crowds identified him correctly. But was he really the Jesus that they were expecting? And so let's take a little overview of uh, um, what we see from this. We see that Christ is control, in control. Throughout Matthew 21 and 22, in every situation, you see that Christ is in control. And that's going to have its ultimate fulfillment uh, at the cross. Because when Christ gives up his life on the cross, 
Uh, the Romans aren't taking his life. He is voluntarily giving up his life as a sacrifice for us, for me, for the sins of Bobby Crotty, and for your sins. John 10, 17 and 18 tells us that I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. So who is this? Who is this Jesus who's come uh, triumphantly into the city? You know, for the longest time during his uh, ministry, he's told people after he has healed them or done miraculous things, he said, don't tell anybody. You know, it's, it's called the Messianic secret, where Christ um, told his disciples not to be telling people that he was the Christ. But now he orchestrates a triumphal procession into the city, and it causes the city to say, who is this? Who is this really? And it causes us to ask another question about whether Christ matches up with who we think he is. Um, here's a great quote from C.S. Lewis that's actually in your uh, summit booklet, but I wanted to put it up here as well, because here is uh, C.S. Lewis's take on answering questions about who is this. I'm here trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said, would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, I love that, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Boys, that's what today is about. You must make your choice. That's the choice that the city of Jerusalem had at that time. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he didn't intend to. So who is this? Well... What do those around Jesus have to say about that? Well, let's take a look at this. What did Jesus' family say about him? Well, in Mark 3.21, he said, they said, he's out of his mind and he needs to come with us. John the Baptist, uh, the one who baptized him and saw the Spirit of God descending upon him, uh, later in uh, this uh, book of Matthew, you see him asking the question, are you the one? He has doubts. He's not sure. You have Peter. You know, right after Peter makes the ringing declaration when Christ says, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But right after that, after Jesus says, but you guys need to know that I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be handed over to the religious leaders and they're going to put me to death. And Peter immediately steps up and says, no, that's not right, Lord. We're not going to let that happen. So Peter saw him as somebody that needed to be rebuked. And the religious leaders from Matthew 12 on, and really even before that, they saw him as a threat who needed to be stopped. And poor Judas, he saw him as one who was not the guy that Judas was expecting. You know, perhaps Judas was looking for a political deliverer, 
And there are certainly a lot of those in uh, Jerusalem who were looking for that at that time. Uh, but Jesus was not that person. And so the question is, what does Jesus say about himself? And let's take a look at that. You know, the seven great I am's of John, Christ identifies himself as the bread of life. He says that anybody who uh, comes to me will never again thirst or be hungry. And he said that uh, he's the light of the world and that uh, he shines in the darkness and that whoever walks by me will have the light of life. He says, I'm the gate. I'm the gate for the sheep and I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And he also says... uh, in the process of raising Lazarus, he says, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me shall never die. And in John fourteen six, he utters the great words of, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And finally, he says, I am the vine. Whoever abides in me bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, One of the characteristics of Matthew 21 and 22 is, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there are a lot of questions in there. Almost 20 questions uh, in those two chapters. And so I want to ask some questions that you guys can ponder in your groups today. And obviously the first one and the most important one is on the next slide. And it's the question that uh, Christ asked the disciples, but who do you say that I am? And so, guys, if there are guys sitting in here that uh, have never made the decision about who do you say that Christ is, then share that with your summit group. And let them have a chance to uh, share with you uh, who they say Christ is and the encounters that they have had with Christ. The um, second question. So what do you do when your answer to the first question about who Christ is, um, what do you do when it doesn't necessarily match up with who you think Christ is? How you want Christ to show up in your own life? Um, you know, I've had that happen in my own life, where what I was expecting, what I thought should happen, uh, didn't happen in the way that I thought it should. And one of the characteristics about Jesus that you see uh, throughout Matthew, and especially in these chapters, is that he is not the guy that everybody was expecting. He does things in a different way. He has a different plan often than I have. You know, today guys talk about uh, wanting to run their own offense. Man, that is the story of my life. If I could run my own offense, I think I would do a pretty good job of it. And frequently the Lord says, no, pal, you're going to screw this thing up. Uh, A good example of that is, um, you know, a bunch of you guys know that uh, my son's in the Army, and um, he was over in Korea and got hurt over there. And uh, um, just as he was uh, getting ready to come back to the States and um, to uh, report to Ranger School, Uh, He had gotten a slot in the 75th Ranger Regiment, which uh, uh, is not an easy thing for a signal officer to do. Not many signal officers want to go to ranger school, apparently. 
but it's still a, a pretty uh, uh, sought-after spot. And um, so, you know, he's getting ready to go to ranger school, and uh, he's getting prepared. It's a pretty uh, intense physical ordeal. And so he gets hurt, and that sets him back in terms of his training and whatnot. And so, you know, uh, he still gets ready. He's ready to go. He reports, and uh, um, they have a, a couple of different phases of ranger school. And so in the first phase, uh, on the, um, they reported on a Sunday night, and this is Monday, and they're doing the ranger physical fitness test. And, you know, um, unlike me, my son is in pretty good shape. And uh, he, is, uh, uh, he was on the triathlon team in college, competed in the national triathlon championships. And uh, um, he has got a warrior's heart. Um, he can do uh, more push-ups uh, than, you know, I think uh, anybody ought to be able to do. But on that first day of ranger school, he failed the push-up test. You know, he had to do 58 push-ups. He's done 100 push-ups before, but he had to do 58 ranger push-ups. And so, you know, you fail one thing, boom, you're gone. And so, you know, uh, I, I'll never forget getting this call as uh, we were driving along, and, you know, it's my son on the phone, second day of ranger school, and I go, this can't be a good sign. And uh, sure enough, it wasn't a good sign. And... So, you know, we're asking ourselves, Lord, we think this is what you have had for him. You have opened doors for him to get there. And yet, at this time, um, you know, he's washed out of ranger school. And so, you know, it was a time for some pretty intense soul searching on his part and also on our part. But, you know, what the Lord was saying is, I'm in control here. I've got this. And what happened was that, um, you know, the, the lost training that he had missed because of his injury, um, his unit said, okay, we're going to assign one of the, our guys. Um, he was already part of the Ranger unit and was uh, needing to finish his Ranger tab to be able to stay in the unit. So we're going to send one of our um, guys that competes in the best Ranger competition. Have you ever seen that on TV? Uh, the guys that compete in the best ranger competition are uh, stallions. And so uh, his unit said, we're going to come around you and we're going to send one of our guys and your job is going to be to work out with him uh, on, for the next month until the next cycle of ranger school is available for you to start. And that made a huge difference in his ability to go through and finish ranger school. And so... Was the Jesus that showed up that day on that phone call um, when, you know, your boy calls you and he is just crushed that something he had looked forward to for a long time was not going to happen, um, at least in the way that he thought was going to happen? Is that same Jesus the one that you can trust to be in control? Well, you know from that story um, that we learned a great lesson that, hey, Christ is in control, and that regardless of the circumstances, uh, he can uh, make all things right from whatever. Uh, Genesis 50:20 uh, in the story of Joseph talks about how you know his brothers meant it for evil, but God used it for good to accomplish God's purpose. And that's true uh, for us throughout. 
And so I want to leave you with one last question to talk about in your groups today. What do you do when the Jesus who shows up in your life doesn't match with your expectations? So are you Jesus' family and you think He's out of His mind? Are you Judas and you betray Him? Are you Peter and you deny Him? Or do you follow Him regardless? Do you say, Christ, I know that you're in control and I know that whatever you want to have happen will happen. And am I willing to say, I will relinquish control of my life and my daily uh, activities to what you want me to do? It's a great question. So as we uh, uh, break up, I want you guys to uh, ponder that and to uh, think about what implications does that have for the way that I live my life today. So let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thanks for this opportunity to come together as men to take a look at uh, your son coming into his city presented as the king, stirring up the city, and yet knowing that ultimately the same crowd that's crying out Hosanna to the son of David will be crying out uh, in just a few days, crucify him, crucify him. <clears throat> Lord, we know that your son is one who can be trusted, that he is in control. And Father, we ask that you would soften our hearts to be willing to say to him, Father Christ, I want you to be in control of my life. And so, Father, give us wisdom when uh, the, the Christ that we seek is not the Christ who shows up to know that he is good, that he is in control, and that his plan is good. And my job is to deny myself, to take up my cross, and to follow him. In your son's name, amen.